We use our phones for everything at this point, and I am absolutely guilty of that. I look up recipes on my phone. I meal plan on my phone. I use my GPS, even though I know where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) But did you know that you can also use your phone for some sexy me time? Don't worry. Your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup dipsystories.com slash just break up. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like competing with a child for attention. (laughs) I love that I don't know what you're going to say. It's just, it makes my experience of the show more enjoyable. Continue. I will. I pulled that quote directly from the letter. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Needing reassurance when our partner can't give it and navigating sobriety. But Mm. before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not licensed mental health practitioners, sex therapists, relationship advice people. Uh, We just spend a lot of time reading, thinking about, talking about relationships and uh, want to impart some of the things that we think uh, to other people. Yeah, absolutely. We are not professionals. We are not trained in this, but we have read over a thousand or we answered like over a thousand letters at this point. Did you know that? I was doing the math the other day with Spencer and it's like 200 episodes, three letters an episode. We used to do four for like Mm -hmm. a handful of episodes in the beginning and our Patreons. Like it's got to be like that's we've answered about a thousand letters at this point. That's read more wild. than that. Read probably five times about that. Yeah. I'm trying to give myself more credit in the professional world. Um, so like we are relationship advice givers. Hmm? 
at this point, but we are not accredited. We are not professionals in this. Um, uh, so please take our advice as you see fit. We are only here to offer our very humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love. Ooh, my New York accent came out in that. <laughs> I love it when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's either like a glass of wine in or I'm talking too fast. <laughs> it's just a slippery slope. I get it. I get it. All right. <laughs> um, okay. So this week's check-in topic is actually inspired by... Um, by some like celebrity news that I saw on a Twitter feed recently. Just kidding. It was a screenshot of a tweet on Instagram because <laughs> I'm not on Twitter. Anyway, it, so I'm going to read you the tweet and then give you the actual like quote from the celebrity. But Kaya Nova at the Kaya Nova on Twitter said Tia Maori, remember Tia Maori? Um, Tia Maori said that her marriage was successful, but it ended because she had evolved. She spoke about divorce being a quote, graduation, not a failure. That success in a marriage is not about longevity, but if two people are happy together, this message is going to save some lives for real. And then they followed up and said, I think that this might be the first time I've heard someone champion solitude and partnership at the same time. And that's beautiful because more of us need to know we get to evolve in and out of love and that endings of things also re represent success too. And I fucking loved this. I immediately Googled Tia's, um, you know, public statements about her divorce. I guess she had been together like for a decade plus with this person. And I saw a Today interview a today show interview with Tia in which she said um quote my marriage was a success I look at it as like a curriculum when you're in college or high school you're learning you're growing you're evolving you're creating I was able to create with her husband uh some beautiful amazing children and at the end of that curriculum there's a graduation there's a celebration so that's basically how I'm looking at it and she goes on to write um, or to say, I feel like when people look at marriage, success equals longevity. But no, at the end of the day, are they happy? Are they thriving? Are they growing? I feel like that is what's most important. It's not about staying in something because however long you are in that situation equals success. It's about really, again, are you happy? Because life is short. And I thought that was so powerful. And I just want to like chat with you about that in our check-in topic and also like echo the sentiments that uh, the person on Twitter, Kaya, um, articulated is I love that it was like, one, that a relationship ending was immediately not labeled a failure, right? The we talk about this on our show A relationship doesn't f fail or succeed. You know, it ends or it doesn't end like all things in life. Right. And I think like there's so much um, interpersonal, social, emotional pressure we put on relationships working and longevity that we actually forget about what the what's at the core of that relationship. The relationship is about finding happiness, peace, growth, um, evolution, finding partnership and, um, not staying in something, um, just for the sake of longevity. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving everything that the person on Twitter and Tia said about relationships. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I really like what the, the person who tweeted said too, of like, 
it's great to celebrate um, partnership and solitude, right? It doesn't have to be one is better than the other or like, great, now she's single and single's the best or like, oh, it's only but good to be in partnerships. But the idea of like both can be teachers to us is I think really awesome and important to remember um, because we get fixated on like one right way all the time. And the idea right. that like, there's stuff we can learn from partnerships. There's stuff we can learn from friendships. There's stuff we can learn from work relationships. There's stuff we can learn from being alone. Like all of that is true and embracing that and recognizing that is, is really important without also with also recognizing that like sometimes we can be in relationships that aren't working for us and that can be hard or we can be single and want to be in relationship and that can be hard too. Right. But it doesn't mean that we can't be learning from those things. Right. And it doesn't mean that both of those things aren't great teachers for us. Yeah, totally. And I'm so glad you articulated some of the nuance that this, this sort of conversation acknowledges, because another thing that comes to mind when I'm reading about this is like, well, how does her husband feel? Like there is, for sure. is there heartbreak here? Is there pain here as well? And I think us as a society, as, as people on the sidelines of breakups, often we, we want things to be in a manageable package. We want things to be less nuanced so that we can pick a side or that we can feel competent about an issue or whatnot. And like in a, in a divorce like this, I, I think it's so important to recognize that everything can be happening at once. Like you said, you can learn mm. in all of these situations and you can feel every spectrum of the emotion. You know, I'm yep. sure Tia's feeling the aches and pains and insecurities and grief that come from a separation that come from an evolution, you know, mm -hmm. evolution is always painful. Growth is always painful as it is also joyful. Um, and separations are always painful as they also can be joyful the same way that we're championing both solitude and partnership. We can champion the nuance of relationships coming to an end, um, as being both deeply challenging, emotional, sad, something to grieve and also something to celebrate, you know, for sure. I love the term graduation. Like what a fascinating term to put to a life transition like this. I'm sure that there are people out there that are like, that is offensive <laughs> to feelings. You know, that is offensive yeah. to people's feelings. Like, can you, um, can you imagine if like one of our exes was like, yeah, I just like see that separation as like a graduation stage for me. <laughs> I would be like, go fuck yourself. You fucking fuck. You know, yeah. I'm more than just a lesson or whatever. For sure. And also like, it's just such an apt word. We, we, we do learn in these moments of transition. We do move on to something different and something hopefully better and more authentic for ourselves, mm -hmm. like a graduation. For I don't sure. know. I think it's a great word. And also I could understand why it would be like a scandalous one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do think that like the idea that like there was a curriculum does kind of make the relationship feel transactional, but 
what I do like right. about what she said too <laughs> is that is that she was like, this is how I'm looking at it, right? She's not like all divorces are graduations or like all relationships are designed to teach us lessons, but instead was like, this is the way that I'm experiencing this, which leaves open the possibility that other folks might experience something different, right? Which might yes, include her husband. Totally. And it might also include other people who've gone through divorces and they didn't feel like graduations in any, <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Yes. Right. Yes. But, um, I just appreciate it when folks are able to to talk about their own experiences and say like, that's how this, that's how it's landing for me while being open to the idea that like, well, maybe not how it is for everyone. Cause we don't all have to agree yes, and we don't all have totally. to have the same experiences of all of our relationships all the time. Isn't it liberating to, to, to view the world like that? Can't you remember being so exhausted when you yes. thought there was a right way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cause absolutely. it was like stressful to see everybody doing things in like wrong or different ways. <laughs> yeah. Like that's anyway. not the way you're supposed to do it. It's like, <laughs> uh, something's okay. going to go wrong. Well, yeah, if you're having alert, a different experience, it somehow invalidates mine. And it's like, yeah, it's oh, not actually true. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just thought that I read that this morning and I thought, like, wow, what a part of uh, what a powerful articulation about a very difficult, common experience. And that maybe our Just Break Up community could take something from it uh, like you and I has have as well. And, Absolutely. you know, I wish I wish that newly separated couple um, uh, joy and curiosity and healing during this transitional season of their life. Absolutely. Tia, if you're listening, we're, we're rooting for you. <laughs> And if you are listening, please DM us because we would love to collaborate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's get into this week's letters. All right, let's do it. All right. So our first letter comes from Parent Trap, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from The Void. Dear Sierra and Sam, I remember the drive in which my friend suggested that we listen to Just Break Up and I decided a few minutes into your intro that you were two rambling numbskulls. <laughs> you know what? I don't blame you for that. I also just love the audacity of being like, I thought you guys were dumb as fuck, but you're, I'm so glad you're not. <laughs> yeah. Can you offer some, some advice now? You little numbskulls, you. Uh, I have never been so happy Don't get to me be... wrong. I think that's very adorable, Sam, and I laughed it about it absolutely. earlier. It just, I also was like, bold, bold move to lead <laughs> yep. with that. Absolutely. Yes. I love uh, it. I have never been so happy to be completely wrong. Your perspectives <laughs> and kind words have helped me grow self-acceptance from surviving the existential dread of facing dating apps, healing from the stigma and pain of rejection associated with STIs, navigating late bloomer sexuality discovery, and so many struggles in between. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a mid thirties woman currently about one year into my first queer relationship. Yay. I'm hoping you can help me with a big, delicious pickle. You know my what though? Really quickly. What? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually glad that she called she called us out on our rambling numbskulliness <laughs> at the beginning of the letter because like hopefully somebody who just listened to our like rambling check-in topic will be like, who are those numbskulls? Oh, this person <laughs> thought they were numbskull too and apparently stuck around. So cheers. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I like that. I like that. Yeah, so thanks. If you think we're numbskulls, you're wrong and uh, this will prove it. And you're also right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My partner, non-binary, AFAB, has a young child. I am 
have never wanted children of my own and never liked spending time with other people's kids. But this one is pretty special and makes me feel loved in such a genuinely free way and has really shifted my perspective of what I want out of life. To think that I to think that I might never have known the thrill of successfully navigating bedtime by myself. All that said, there are times when I feel jealous of this amazing little human. I know that my partner is responsible for this child and that their child's needs come first. I'm okay not being my partner's number one priority all the time, but I still want to be a priority sometimes. And in all fairness, sometimes I am. But when I'm not the priority and I feel that my needs aren't being met or am being feeling vulnerable in our relationship, I really struggle. I know I'm not doing a great job of navigating the struggle because my partner has said that they feel like I'm competing with their child for their attention. The part that hurts the most is the way that this conflict is currently framed makes me feel like it's my issue, that I need to just accept that I'll always be second to their child and not give voice to my wants and needs. The situation is not helped by some external factors, a contentious custody battle with the child's other parents, my partner's family, and most friends live in a different country that have really strained my partner's resilience. Do you have any advice for reframing this conflict as something my partner and I can work on together? Have you or Willow or other people you know with kids talked about how you are going to nurture your relationship while also caring for your child's needs and wants? Do you think children should always come first in relationships? Thank you for reading my message and for the love that you put into the world. Thank you so much for writing Parent Trap and for listening and for sticking around through our ramblings, all teasing aside thank you so much for being here um and for giving us the opportunity to answer this question that i know will be relatable to many listeners out there experiencing similar relationship dynamics um i i want to start by saying i think this is actually like a real you know you've been together for a year and this is i believe real in any relationship, regardless of whether or not there is a child. I think that um, that is obviously a unique circumstance that adds another layer of complexity to this, but this is a fairly new relationship and there are major stressful things happening in your partner's life. And you two are still, even in the intricacies of your intimacy that you've established thus far, you're still figuring each other out. You're still figuring out how to support one another, how your lives are woven or unwoven together. And so I just want to point out that like, you, you know, your relationship is still relatively young and these are big stressors that you're going through in the first year. Like your partner's going through a custody battle is like my worst nightmare. You know, um, just like imagining the stress of all of that and, I just, so, so shifting the perspective a little away from parenting, which I will talk about, but like that this is just new, you know, this is still mm -hmm. new. And, um, I, you know, I know I have been in partnerships that were in their younger iterations and when things were going wrong early, it was, it was maybe more stressful than it would be years down the line because you hadn't fully established that immersion in each other's lives, right? There mm. is the question that this relationship could end, or there is the question of where do I fall if I'm not your number one priority? Whereas I feel like, you know, if you'd been together for 10 years or whatever, maybe there wouldn't be sort of the um, the same level of humming anxiety, you know, that's mm. fueling a lot of this. Mm -hmm. um, all of these concerns and feelings are real. Um, 
and and valid. This is these feelings coming up are valid. I want you to know that both Willow and I have admitted to each other this morning when I was reviewing this letter and other times over the last seven months since I've had our baby um, that we get jealous of our baby. We're totally jealous (laughs) of our baby. I don't see my wife all day and I'm holding the baby and she walks in the door or, or like the baby's on the floor and I'm doing something else. And she walks in the door. Does she make eye contact with me? No. no. She's like, hey, she baby. Says, oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you're so cute. I miss you so much. And I'm over here like chopped liver, you know. Yeah. You're wearing <laughs> um, your cellophane dress trying to like get her attention. Yes, yes totally. <laughs> Probably like one boob hanging out, like breast milk falling, you know, stains. Side note, anybody out there having children in this near future, everybody tells you that babies are gross and they are right. Like they're snotty, they're poopy, they're they're smelly, they're drooly, right. They're always sticky, especially when they start eating solids, but they don't tell you that you become gross too. Like I'm covered (laughs) in food now that she's eating solid all the time. There's no, no clothing in my house that isn't like her little hands get on everything. So it's, it's a, it's a subsequent grossness that happens to you. Anyway. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, we don't ramble, right? <laughs> Parent trap. <laughs> teasing, teasing. Um, okay, so I just want to say, like, to be, I want to normalize the fact that even in, you know, partnerships in which we are parenting together, that we dreamt, you know, that we that we brought this wor- child into the world together, I still get jealous of my baby and Willow still gets jealous of her because we're negotiating. What does it mean to have a third person in this partnership? What does it mean to have a third um, point of contact, a a, a being that requires a ton of supervision and attention and love and prioritization Mm. in this two person partnership right now? Because it changes everything. For sure. I think it's an added stress. I think that this child um, that you're talking about is was dreamt up in another relationship. Not not that you are jealous of that part of their life because you yourself never wanted a child, but that you were not a you were not there for the blueprints, for the inception, for the for the plan making that is now being unfolded in the present day, right? Mm. So it makes you feel that much more removed in this new dynamic. Um, So that's all real. Like, that's all hard. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, everything about the situation is is really tricky. Um, But I also want to say that, um, you know, in answer to your question around, you know, do you think that children should always come first in relationships? Um, I think that that question is going to be different for every relationship. And it sounds like for your partner, their child always comes first, which is like not a, it's not a fault, right? Like it's a decision that they're making about what they're prioritizing and what is, is most important to them. And I think that it's a, it's a totally legitimate priority to have, um, given the fact that, you know, that child depends on them for life. And also they're in the midst of a custody battle, right? Where, all sorts of things can be used against you and the child is, you know, possibly being taken away for long periods of time, right? Like all of that makes a ton of sense to me. And so I absolutely want you to have uh, many of your needs met. And I also want to ask you if this is the right relationship for you to be in, because it doesn't seem like your partner is going to prioritize you more than their child. And I don't say that in like a mean way. Like I, I think that that's 
great that they're doing that. And it may look different in different relationships, but I think that it's, it's not super reasonable for you to want them to deprioritize their child because they've made it clear that that that's like very important to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, especially about like, you know, your partner isn't doing anything wrong, Mm -hmm. um, by, Try navigating this the best way that they can, um, trying to, you know, it's what I want to give you permission to say to yourself is my partner's attention is being spread elsewhere. And that's triggering something in me. That's making mm. me feel something. My partner is autonomously and in every way that we can perceive, you know, pri- having healthy priorities, meaning it's very challenging, you know, like, I'm sorry, backing up one more step. You know, we've had lots of conversations on this show about demonogamizing the mind, right? And not necessarily demonogamizing our relationships or whatever, although that is absolutely a phenomenal choice for you uh, if you if you want to do that. But like just mentally sort of unpacking why we think one partner should and could and is capable of fulfilling everything in our lives, right? Right. And why do we feel ownership over our partners in that way? And what has, where have we gotten that conditioning? And I actually want to bring that into this conversation because why I say your partner isn't doing anything wrong is because I think, nor have you said that they are, but you're saying that you're triggered by this, right? But, But what I'm trying to bring up is that what if we reframed it from, you know, Sometimes I'm their priority and other times the child is the priority. Let's take it away from that binary and say, my partner has multiple priorities that they juggle the best that they can with different circumstances and approaches day by day, because every day's needs are different. You Mm -hmm. may always come quote, quote second, right? It might always feel like the child's needs are over your needs because guess what? They are more vulnerable right now. They have more, they have more tangible physical needs. So it's going to always going to feel like that. Like an emergency is always going to interrupt a date night or a child piano concert is going to always, you know, like over, uh, you know, be chosen over, I don't know, like going on a date with you or something like that, uh, an yep. anniversary night or something, because the child is, has more tangible, vulnerable needs right now. Right. You are the one that is more capable of being malleable. However, this brings us back to what Sam brought up is that, is this a core incompatibility? Because it's not, right. you're not a bad person. If it is, if you're saying, I, nope. you know what, I didn't, I didn't choose to have a child. I didn't choose to have to share my two person monogamous partnership with another person, which is, which is what happens when there are multiple priorities happening like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe, and, and that, I don't blame you for that at all that, you know, we have a ton of stigmas in our culture about people who are childless and none of them are true. Right. (laughs) Um, or, or, or if they are, then they're all built on this like weird idea that like being alone is somehow selfish. Like if that's selfish, like go be selfish. I want you to be selfish. You know, I want you to live your life for you. If that is the definition of selfishness, you know, absolutely. But, um, I just wanted to, you know, you ask us, how can I make this an issue that like both my partner and I can work on? And I think the first thing is reframing it. Like you are in this together 
but I think it's going to require a perspective shift away from the binary, away from this idea right. that a, a partner is the, you know, at the center of the circle and a child is the second circle circle. And then, you know, siblings and friends are the next circle or whatever, um, the ring or like the rings of importance in your life. Right. Sure. You know, because if it's that, then then you and the child are always switching places in that center ring of importance. Mm -hmm. But what if it's not that? What if it's or alternatively, what if the child is in the center ring? How can you be comfort? How can you comfort yourself, soothe yourself in that revelation? Like, what if you do always come second to this child? What does that mean for the future of a relationship? It doesn't sound terrible to me, but it does sound challenging if that's not the relationship you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I don't want this to come across as like the idea that you shouldn't give voice to your wants or needs, right? We're not, we're also not talking about a binary there, right? Like shut up or take and Mm -hmm, take it mm -hmm. or you're the priority, (laughs) right? But I do think that given the reality of the situation that you're in, that you're going to have to be both proactive and flexible about how those needs are met, right? So how That's are you perfect. proposing things that are going to be helpful for maintaining the relationship with your partner? Because again, your partner is being pulled in lots of different directions, right? They only have so much capacity. So how can you be proactive to say, hey, let's plan a date night, the two of us, right? What's a day when there aren't any kid obligations that we can pick? And what can it look like? Because I know you're going to be tired, right? But I just really want to spend some time with you. So how can we be flexible about that, right? And how can you be flexible about what quality time with your partner might look like too? Can you find places where you're like, can you find moments when you're together? Can you find short periods of time where you can feel more connected with each other? Um, and recognize the fact that like your partner is going through something that is, that is just taking a whole lot of their time and energy. Um, and again, if that's not the relationship for you, that's not the relationship for you. You're not a bad person for saying, I, I'm not ready to be in a relationship or in this relationship with this person, with this child and these situations, right? Like that is an okay thing to do, right? In a relationship with both of them. Absolutely. What's, what's not going to work is sitting in this relationship and wishing it were different, a different set of circumstances, right? Or mm. if it were, it were a different way of, of playing now. Ain't because, that the fucking truth for so many <laughs> right? fucking like, scenarios? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I hear that this is feeling like it is all on you to, to figure out what to do and that your, your, weeds, your needs and wants aren't, aren't being met and you're not allowed to voice them. What I am going to say to that is I do think that some of this is on you to figure out how you can sit more comfortably in the context of this relationship without sort of throwing yourself against things that are immovable. This child Mm. is not going anywhere. This relationship with this child is not going anywhere. The way that this child is being taken care of is probably not going to change anytime soon. And so how are you either sitting in the reality of that or finding something that's going to be more nutritious for you than this, this, the way that this relationship is currently set up? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope that this helps. I think that you are in a really tricky situation and, and within the context of what sounds like a very difficult year, which is also in the context of what sounds like a very lovely relationship. So we, we believe that this can work. We believe that this can, um, you can, you know, this is going to be a continually navigate, a continual navigation of this 
of this dynamic because guess what? For that sure. child's also going to grow and change faster than you're ever going to fucking believe. And so their needs yep. are going to change as well. Um, we hope that this helps. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing um, and appreciate how big of a pickle this is. And we both hope that you find um, something that's going to be uh, nutritious for you. We love you. Thanks so much for writing. All right. Y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karakul jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. (laughs) Stop wasting money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup.
All right. Our next letter comes to us from Reassurance Addict, who is writing to us from The Void. Hi, Sierra and Sam. Here's my pickle. I'm an anxiously attached, generally anxious 29-year-old woman with abandonment issues in a committed, loving relationship with an amazing and securely attached person, they, them. Let's call them Dev. Because of my years in therapy and spiritual healing, I've gotten really good at being self-aware, managing and making space for my complex emotions. And with Dev, I've learned what it means to truly love another person from a place of abundance and peace rather than fear, control and anxiety. Mm. I couldn't be happier with my relationship with Dev. The only reoccurring fight Dev and I have is about my need for reassurance when when I do something that upsets them. Dev is a pretty emotionally stable person who has developed a lot of coping strategies when difficult emotions come up, particularly anger. They have told me that they know they have a temper like their dad and brother. They've said they know they are likely to behave in ways they don't mean or say things they shouldn't in moments of anger. And so it's very important to them to be able to take a beat alone, gather their thoughts, process whatever is annoying them, and then circle up with me to discuss once they're a little calmer. More often than not, they've said doing this allows them to actually see the issue for what it is rather than react blindly to whatever emotion is coming up at the time. I love that for them. Mm -hmm. The problem is with this, that when I do something that upsets them and they are clearly feeling angry, them doing whatever they need to do, take a beat, process the anger, etc., it makes them come across to me as cold, angry, and yes, about to fucking leave me. This mm-hmm. triggers in me a relentless desire to get reassurance, reassurance that everything is fine. So I push and push and ask, is everything okay? Over and over again until they say, yes, everything is fine or yes, we're fine. But because they are clearly being a little distant and not their usual affectionate and patient self. I don't believe them. The last time this happened after asking it again and again, if everything was fine, I refused to accept that and finally broke down in tears and said, I'm just really scared. And they finally snapped and said, I don't know how else to communicate this to you. Everything is fine. I'm just taking some time as I know, you know, I need, if I could give you the exact kind of reassurance you need right now, I would. I want nothing more than to give it you what you need, but I'm annoyed and I'm angry at what happened and I just physically can't always be warm and affectionate and I just need some time. I've told you that this is important to me to process first so that I don't blow up on you unnecessarily and it feels like you're not respecting this and it feels selfish. I really just need you to trust me when this happens and be okay giving me some time. Mm. Why do I feel like that was copy and pasted from a text copy? conversation (laughs) you either have an impeccable memory access to the exact words that these purpose said or really you're a superb writer so that was painted the scene perfectly for me absolutely continuing frankly dev finally spewing all of this felt better to me than what they were doing before But I understand that they don't like behaving out of anger. I think their dad's anger has hurt them growing up. And I want to respect that. I've tried talking to them about telling me when they're feeling this way, something like, hey, this is one of those times where everything's fine, but I just need some time. But they shared that they don't feel like they can always do that because they're having their own feelings too, which they think is allowed. And I agree. Sometimes a simple everything is fine is the best they can do. And they would like that to be enough sometimes because in three hours, 12 hours, or even 30 minutes, they will have processed what they need to and will be able to approach me centering the love they have rather than blindly reacting in their anger or annoyance. 
I've tried talking to Dev about what's coming up for me and they've said they're, they will try to reassure me that everything's fine. But of course, sometimes those words just aren't enough for me and they're not able to give me much more than words. I can understand not wanting to be lovey-dovey when you're feeling fucking annoyed. But of course, <laughs> sure. I also struggle with those moments because of my issues when Dev is distant because they're processing their feelings. My mind goes nuts making up stories about how they're irrevocably angry with me, that they're going to leave me, that I fucked up and that this is the beginning of the end. Every time I ask, is everything okay? And they say, yes, everything is fine. My mind is like, they're lying. Insert six, fi insert six siren emojis. How do we get out of this cycle? Is it unreasonable to ask Dev to give me warm, genuine reassurance during these moments when I'm completely activated? Isn't it also unreasonable to ask me to swallow my fear to give them time to process their needs? Whose emotions should have the upper hand? I do want to rely on myself in these moments, cultivate trust in Dev and be able to take a beat instead of un incessantly demanding resolution ASAP. But in the moment, how do I actually do that? In the moment, I can't seem to think of anything other than fix this, fix this. Don't let them leave. Ask what's wrong. Ask what you can do. Apologize, etc. I want to respect and love Dev and their needs. And they do such an amazing job showing up for me every other instance, except for when they're angry and trying to take space to process. But I feel stuck in how I feel so out of control when I am afraid that they are going to leave me. How to distinguish, how do I distinguish between trusting Dev and not standing up for my needs during these moments? Any advice on how to talk about this with them? Thanks for reading this long letter. I'm grateful that I'm in a relationship where this is truly the biggest issue but it feels mm. like a weird impasse. I would appreciate any advice or thoughts you would have. Love, Reassurance Addict. Thank you for writing Reassurance Addict. Um, and I just want to say that I feel heavily related. <laughs> I yeah. find this letter very relatable in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, you know, because like you, um, I have had family situations in which my job was to fix everything all the time and lived in sort of constant fears that people's emotions were going to lead them to do bad things to each themselves and other people. Um, yeah. and it's really hard for me to sit in a moment when my partner, my friends, my family are unable to talk about what's going on with them for whatever reason. And then to just have to accept the idea that they will come to me later with what they need to talk with me about and, and sitting in that in-between period feels like, I don't know, someone is like scratching my skin off. Like it is, it is so painful to sit the anxiety of sitting in that moment and being like, ah, all of the alarm bells in my head are going off in this moment that something is deeply wrong. And what I'm seeing in front of me is somebody just saying, I'm fine or I'm tired or whatever it is and being like, how could this be possible? <laughs> how could my brain and my body and my heart be going alert, alert, you are in immediate danger. And the person in front of me is saying, I'm fine. Right? Like, ah, how is that possible? It's just like, it does not compute. And I, and I feel really deeply this, this pattern that you have of like repeatedly asking the same question over and over again, what's going on? What's going on? Are you okay? How are you feeling? What's happening? Is there anything I can do? Are you mad at me? Right? Like absolutely can deeply relate to all of that. Um, so I just want to say like the fact that you are experiencing this, I think is probably pretty common, especially from folks who may have had some 
stuff growing up around needing to fix people or people's emotions being hurtful to them or to other people. Um, and want to just say like, I see you in this, um, and you're not crazy and you're not like being irrational and you're not sort of, um, you're not being ridiculous in this moment. Right. And I want to also talk about what tools you're going to use when this inevitably happens again. Right. I want you to be prepared for the moment when dev is mad at you or dev is annoyed that something has happened and you're going to have to sit for 30 minutes, a couple hours, half a day in mm -hmm. the, the deep discomfort of not knowing what's going on with them. Yeah. Because you know, you said this is not being irrational or, or whatnot. Um, that made me think of the phrase in the, in the letter, like whose emotions should have the upper hand. Mm. And I, I think the only thing I'm going to use, I'm going to use the word irrational. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way, just the way that our anxieties make our needs come out in, in the, neon ways right in ways that are so electric and different than than how they would if we were like calm and clear-headed um the only thing that strikes me as irrational is the idea that our needs are in some sort of competition with one another and that they need to come out the 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 biggest needs come out first and the loudest um, yep. I think yep. that I want to reframe two things for this conversation. First, the idea that our needs are in a hierarchy and that they and that they are lined up in 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 order of like size and importance and immediacy, right? Um, if you if your partner Dev comes to you and affirms you 30 minutes later, does that make your need to be affirmed any less important? or less seen, right? Mm -hmm. So I just want to challenge that. I know that your anxiety is saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I have to wait those 30 minutes while my skin is being fucking peeled off, right? Mm -hmm. But just shifting the idea that, I think that when we're in that panicked state, when we're in that state that we've been taught to be in, that uh, by our traumas and by our past relationships, the the state of panic, the state of extreme anxiety, the uh, the idea that I've been here before, something's wrong, and if I don't stop it right now, it's going to go wrong. When we're in that that peaked state, everything feels immediate. Everything feels like a now moment. Yep. And yep. if it's not soothed now, it's not being tended to, and it's all going to burn down. Right. Yep. But just. Just just vocalizing that, putting that into the context of the conversation that it's not about it's not about your partner processing their needs first. Yep. They're processing and you are processing. These are happening at the same time and they are yep. in they are in styles that appear to be incompatible, but that doesn't mean they are insurmountable, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um the second thing I want to reframe is this idea of fine or fineness or everything being okay. Sure. You know, I also related really deeply to this letter as like an anxious person, as somebody who is often uh, disconnected with my head and body and just like 
looking for external direction and affirmation and assurance all the time. And as somebody who is anxiously attached historically, um, and somebody who really fears confrontation and disappointing other people. And, and I really, you know, I struggle with my entire worth being wrapped up in how other people see me. So Mm. if another person is frustrated or mad at me, then my actual being, my beingship (laughs) is threatened. You know, my, my, my safety, my understanding of myself, my value is threatened. If somebody is mad at me, I I instantly become a less valuable person, which is wildly irrational. Let's use that word again. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. the way that our fear is irrational, you know, Um, or sometimes how our feelings can be irrational. Feelings are not always facts. And um, I just want to point out what I am doing in a very comparable dynamic is that I'm, you know, how about this? It's okay for things not to be okay. It's okay for your partner to be mad at you. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That is a part of life. That is a guarantee. (laughs) That is unavoidable. Yep. Yep. And no wonder why you and I are so fucking anxious all the time. Because we have created an expectation of ourselves and our reality that is constantly being proven as impossible. We are constant. We are saying, this Mm. is the way I think life should be. I should never piss anyone off. And if they're mad at me, they're going to leave me. And that is constantly being proven wrong. Right. And because, (laughs) because number one, people, we are always going to upset people and People don't immediately leave, but, but our anxiety has tricked us that the people who don't leave are because we swooped in and problem solved immediately. We swooped in and we needed them to tell us it was okay. That's not what's keeping your partner around that, that immediate problem solving that your anxiety needs. That's not what is keeping your partner sticking around. Your partner is an autonomous being who's choosing to be with you because they love you period. And Realize this. I think you know this, that even if they said the perfect response, even if they, 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 they were as genuine as you wanted them to be, comment on that in a minute. But, you know, even if it was like the warmest, most genuine, everything was okay, that still wouldn't stop your anxiety from this crisis storytelling that it is doing. So that tells me it's not about your partner. That tells me it's about a wound. Yep. Right. Yep. And it's, and that that right, even if your partner tells you the right response a hundred days in a row, you're still going to need that perfect response from them. Mm-hmm. And that is a that's a tall order from an imperfect person who you love for <laughs> yourself too. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to quickly say, like on the note, genuine. Like you said, is it so much to ask that I? Is it unreasonable to ask for a warm, genuine reassurance? Let's take away, let's unpack those words really quickly. This is genuine. This is Deb's <laughs> genuine is. response. Absolutely. Right? Yep. <laughs> this is them. They are being as vulnerable. I mean, literally for someone to stop and be like, I don't want to be this worst self. I don't want you to see my, I don't want to be cruel to you. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pause and, and fumble through it and figure it out. And then I'm going to come back when I'm better. Like that is so vulnerable and that is genuine. 
just because I, I just want to say that like your anxiety is lying to you. There's not a warmer, more, no, no, time out. It's okay for you to want, it's okay for you to want reassurance. It's okay for you to ask for reassurance. It's okay for you to, I've literally told my wife, sometimes after arguments, I just need you to come up and hold me. I need you to touch me. I need you to be warm so that my anxiety doesn't tell me something is wrong. So that is all okay. And also, I think that our anxiety, our shared anxiety is telling us that that hug, that warmth means something more than it does, right? Mm. It Somehow we're, we're putting so much weight on that small warmth and not the fact that these people are choosing to be with us, choosing to stick through us with these hard conversations through the good times and, yep. and the ways that they show up on the, on the days that we don't argue. Like we're giving that tiny warmth so much weight and don't get me wrong. I need to be touched after arguments because of issues like this. I need for to sure. know that it's okay. And it's okay for you to ask for that. And also, absolutely. I think we're, this is the genuine response. Yeah, no, I absolutely, I, I totally agree with that. One more thing, going back to my little rant about like, you know, everything being okay, but like, that's an impossible standard. I want you to think about this way. If your and my safety emotional safety, like feelings of like, okay, you know, I am safe now. People aren't going to leave me. If my safety is contingent on everything being okay, mm. then I am chronically unsafe because that is not the reality. That is right. not the world. There will be car accidents. There will be breakups. There will be mistakes. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to be imperfect to this partner. And right. so if we are expecting our, our safety to be contingent on perfection, on everything being okay, then we are chronically unsafe. Yep. What I want you to, to tell yourself when you're in these moments of crisis, right, where you're asking Dev, like, is everything okay? And they're saying, yes, everything is fine. And your alarm bells are continuing to go off, right? That, that you are choosing to believe your anxiety over this partner that you love, that has shown you all of this commitment that has been with you for however long you've been together, that has told you that they, when they say everything is fine, it's fine. They just need some time to process, right? You're believing your anxiety more than you're believing this wonderful, loving person in front of you. And mm -hmm. I want you in those moments to actively choose to believe, to believe your partner. Right. And mm. it's like, how do how is that done? That's it. <laughs> right. Like, well, practice one of the, too. <laughs> absolutely. And one of the things that I have had to learn in my mid thirties, having been in therapy for decades is that I actually get to choose what I believe more so than I thought that I was able to in the past. Right. I thought that, that I just had to believe my anxiety all of the time. I thought that it was impossible for me to choose something else. And what I've realized is that actually I get to choose whether or not I believe something like that's, mm. that is the work I have to decide to do that. It's not going to suddenly change. My anxiety is not going to go anywhere. I have to be the one that says anxiety. Yes, I hear you. I know you're telling me in danger. Yep. I'm, I don't believe you. You lie to me all the time, all the fucking time. You're lying to me about whether or not yes, I'm in danger. Son of a bitch. <laughs> right. Anxiety. I understand you're trying to keep me. You are trying to keep me safe. But guess what? I know that you're a fucking liar. So I'm going to instead choose what I know to be true, which is the things that my partner has told me about how they process through this stuff. This is, and I'm saying this like with deep amounts of, of like relatable, this letter right? Is like bringing it up for me. <laughs> this yep. is like, you know, like my partner's mother died like a year and a half into our relationship, not our relationship into our marriage. marriage. And, and 
he would tell me all the time he was fine when he clearly wasn't <laughs> right. Like, mm-hmm. and so I totally relate to this and I had to make choices to say, this is not going to change. He is not going to process his feelings in a different way. He is not going to be able to suddenly talk about what it feels like to have have lost his mother, right? Like that is impossible for him in this moment. So what I can do is I can either grind myself down with my anxiety and continue to ask him over and over a question that he is unable to answer for me in this moment. Mm. Or I need to find a way to believe in the strength of our relationship, the idea that Mm. he will tell me what's going on with him when he is ready for it. And that I love and trust him enough to know that he's not going to do anything that is going to hurt him or us in this relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had to pick that. And I, and I don't know how else I can tell you, or like, I wish I could give you the checklist Mm -hmm. of like, here's how to make that happen. But that's like the only thing that I, that I had to do in those situations is like, I have to choose to believe him. This is the only option available to me because the other thing is completely unsustainable for both of us. Not just our relationship. It's unsustainable for me. I can't yeah. sit in this anxiety telling myself these stories about what's going on with him because it's, it is literally like crushing my soul. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's what I'm choosing to do every day when I don't believe in the strength and the love and the abundance of our relationship or in Peter's capacity to be able to take care of himself. Yes. Right. Yes. And I know I had been told many lies that it was my job to take care of every other person. And I had to start believing something different, which is the idea that my partner's my friends, my loved ones are capable of taking care of themselves. And it is not my job to make sure that they are okay. 100% of the time. And you write in your letter, this is obviously bringing up a lot of emotions for (laughs) Sam and I. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your vulnerability in sharing this letter, because I think you articulated an issue that a ton of uh, partnerships and relationships are coming up against, which is this, you know, we're holding up each other's imperfect selves. We're holding up our wounds and saying, can you, can you heal this for me? Is this wound compatible to this wound? You know, like, is my processing style compatible with your processing style? And where do we fit? Where do we fit when our partners are imperfect and we are imperfect? Where do we fit in each other's lives and how can we find common ground? How can we find the same peace and abundance you use those words to describe your relationship. How can you find the same peace and abundance in your relationship when mm. things are not fine? Yeah, when absolutely. things are not okay, because yep. that not fineness is a guarantee that will always come up again. And so you might yes. be saying like, cool, I know my anxiety is a liar, but I've been to therapy. I've done my spiritual healing. How the <laughs> yeah. fuck do I tell, what do I do in those moments of crisis? Literally something else. And I know, and, and I'm honestly, I'm speaking this passionately because I'm talking to my fucking <laughs> self because over the last couple of years, as I have settled into this partnership, this marriage, I have literally had to be like, walk away, Sierra. Go into yeah. a different room. You yep. know what these feelings are. You have you have done this before. You have entertained this anxiety this way for years, and it has been proven to be not sustainable or nutritious for yourself or your relationship. Yep. If it would have worked, it would have worked by now, right? Mm-hmm. This response. And going back to my other point, like if they're perfect, if if them telling you that everything is okay was actually soothing you was actually soothing you and reassuring you. 
then you wouldn't need to hear so many times. Mm. Right. So the, you say that you're a reassurance addict, but I would say, no, 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 no. You and I, we're Band-Aid addicts, right? We want a yeah. Band-Aid. We want to, we want like this, the, the warm hug, but we don't actually want to believe in that hug. Like we don't want yeah. the, the hug yeah. lifestyle, right? <laughs> you know, um, I'm losing my metaphors here, but, yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, you know, like reassurance is, is reassuring. It's sitting in that, that safety and abundance and trust, right? A yep. Band-Aid is everything's fine. I'm not going to leave you. I'm just going to process this right now. It's okay to want Band-Aids. It's okay mm-hmm. to want to know things are okay. You know, that they're not going to leave you after they go away and process this. I, I don't want you to walk away from this episode and think that you can't ask for this Band-Aid, but don't w- ask that Band-Aid to be reassurance, right? Don't ask that Band-Aid to be trust because you're, it, I don't think that's going to, like I said before, if, if it was going to work, it would have worked by now, you know, For sure. if Absolutely. it was going to reassure you, it would have reassured you by now. So maybe, maybe some perspective shifts will help you think differently. Um, and also just going back to the tactical, the practical thing I have literally said, okay, I've, I've taken it. I've huffed and puffed and rolled my eyes at myself. Literally. I've been like, <laughs> okay, uh, I'm, I'm annoyed. I'm going to just go to the other room or I'm feeling insecure. I've literally said, "Woo, I'm feeling crazy right now. Like out loud. I've said, (laughs) okay, what am I going to do differently? I'm going to try something differently today. I'm going to text Sam or I'm going to Mm -hmm. be like, literally say out loud to your partner. I'm feeling insane. I'm feeling really insecure. This is triggering all these feelings. I'm going to try just like walking around our block or like, I'm going to go take a shower and see how I feel afterwards. Because yep. we we are capable, we are capable of sitting in those really loud, neon, insecure feelings. We are capable yes. of sitting in them. And when we sit with them, we find out what, what wound is throbbing underneath, what wound, wound is crying for you underneath. Yep. And that's not a wound that your partner can heal either. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we could talk about this forever, but I feel no, like absolutely. we could. <laughs> but I, I love the idea of like walking away or doing something different or like whatever it is to get yourself out of that, that situation, which again was like something that, that I have to do as well. Right. It's like, I can't sit in this room with you because I'm going to continue asking you the same question over and over again. So instead I'm going to go over here and do this thing, or I'm going to work on this project, or I'm going to go for a walk, or I'm going to go do some, I'm going to go get something to eat or something like that to, to literally like remove myself from this thing that is telling me it's going to fix all my problems, but is actually not capable of fixing my problems, right? Like the only thing that's capable of, of helping to helping build my capacity to sit in the discomfort of not being able to fix everything for everyone all the time is me getting more used to sitting in the discomfort of not being able to fix everything for everyone all of the time, right? That's the only way forward. It is not Peter telling me that everything's fixed. That's not actually helpful because yep. I didn't solve the problem of me thinking I need to fix everything all the time for everyone. <laughs> right. Yep. It's, it's like Sierra said, it's a, it's a bandaid on a, on a wound. It is a, a balm on skin that is like charred, right? Like it, it needs more care than that. It needs a different sort of treatment. So, uh, I think Sierra and I deeply relate to this. We're very passionate about it because we are 
we are figuring these things out for ourselves, right? And every single day. Um, And, and part of this is about me holding myself accountable to these things that I know are more nutritious for me than what feels like an immediate balm to the need. Um, And I have to be sometimes this firm with myself to say like, you need to stop doing this. We know that this doesn't work. We need to do something different. And we're inviting you into the club of, of <laughs> practicing of this some sucks. of this. Like, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Practicing this sort of firmness with ourselves around not trying to find the easiest fix to something that is going to take more time and dedication to find a way right. to move forward through. And just one thing that I'll say <laughs> to throw a wrench in everything that we all like we like to do if this partner is like actively giving you the silent treatment for like hours at a time like that's a whole different conversation as well right like that is not a tactic that i think is super helpful but i i do think that what it sounds like is if you ask them is everything okay and they say everything's fine right then it's like okay well then we're we're doing something different than just like being silent for 12 hours like so that too. would be like a very different very different. Well, and I, the last <laughs> note that I had in my notes for this episode was this, uh, could be an incompatibility. You, you two might have two, op- like two as in T O O two opposing processing styles, right? We are not, not everyone is for us. We are not, we are inherently imperfect beings, which means our imperfectness will sometimes be incompatible with other people's imperfectness. That is, we have such high expectations on ourselves that somehow we could like heal and process ourselves into a perfect being that is never triggered, that is capable of all sorts of conflict in like this enlightened, beautiful way. And, you know, the reality is, my darling, like I could not be with someone who had, um, a coping mechanism or like who dealt with conflict in a way that was truly so exhaustingly triggering Mm -hmm. that I would have to, you know, like I couldn't do it. If, if we couldn't meet in the middle, it would just be too much discomfort. Our lives are not meant to, you know, we are meant to heal. We're meant to evolve and grow and to push ourselves into those uncomfortable spaces, but our lives our purpose is not to be uncomfortable all the time, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, if this is, if this comes to a point where you're like, I just can't, I just can't get there. This is, then let me give you full permission that this relationship is not a space for you to enlighten yourself into a different being. Sure. A relationship is meant to be a place where you grow, you grow more into yourself through exploration, but not forced change, like forcing two puzzle pieces that don't match together. That for sure. that's not Absolutely. what we want for you. And okay. also like <laughs> at the same time, there's, if this is the biggest problem and it is not a, a frequent occurrence, right? Like how can you also remind yourself of this is great 99% of the time. And I can't expect a relationship to always be perfect. Yep. 100% yep. Yep. of yep. the yep. time. Yep. Right? Yep. 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 <laughs> Yep. That's it. That's it right All there. Right. Honestly, we should just answer one letter a fucking episode because we get way too into it. Uh, and we're uh, like, it's all about nuance. So let us respond to every single angle of possibility. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Let's host a relationship advice podcast where we only get one glimpse into people's lives and then try and figure out the whole of their relationship. That is what we've been doing for four years. Um, 
Listen, my darling, thank you so much for writing or for giving us the absolute privilege of answering your letter and for exploring these dynamics that exist in our personal lives as well as yours. Um, I will be thinking about this response and your letter for a while. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we hope this helps. Absolutely. We love you. All right. Our last letter comes from Sober and Sad, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from The Void. Dear Sam and Sierra, thank you for everything. I love learning from your podcast and you're probably not going to like me for saying this, but you've genuinely been more helpful than therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking for a better therapist. Good. That's cute. You know what? We're working on claiming it. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Here we go. I'm 25, she, her, and am generally contented with my social life. I live with a bunch of friends in a big house and have a few strong friendships outside of the house as well. My problem that I'm writing about is social events surrounding drinking. Around when COVID started, I began to run into some issues with my heart, mostly heart palpitations, but also occasionally chest pain. I've gotten all the tests run and feel like doctors have done a thorough job ruling out any serious issues. Basically, I just have a fairly common type of heart palpitation, not a huge deal. The difficulty is that the only real treatment is to cut out the triggers of the palpitations, and for me, it was evident that those were alcohol and nicotine. I didn't drink too, too much in the pre-COVID days, but definitely liked being able to go out for drinks once in a while and to get drunk at a party with my friends. Since I first cut out alcohol at the beginning of COVID, it wasn't a big deal as most people weren't going out very much with COVID restrictions. But as life has gotten more and more normal, I have felt more and more anxious about how not drinking has affected my social life. Every time there is a party coming up, a holiday, or an event that most people will get drunk at, I get quite anxious and worried about it. I think, how will I attend the sober? Will it be fun sober? Will all the drunk people annoy me? Will I want to go home before everyone else and have to leave alone and then come home and cry, lol? Will I seem cold and not fun because I'm sober and or anxious? Will I feel pressured to drink? Will I have to explain to people why I don't? Will I actually be pressured into having a drink and then feel physically unwell? I have all this swirling around in my head and it makes me so anxious and leads me to spiral. When I used to attend events and drink pre-COVID, I didn't worry about these things as I knew the alcohol would ease my, all my social interactions. It's not as though so much of my social life is based on alcohol that I have nothing left now, but every time a party situation comes up, it dominates my brain all day. Usually, rather than face the unknown of going to the drinking event sober, I choose to stay home and do something chill. Like tonight, all of my roommates are at a party and I'm writing you this letter. I'm fine staying home or doing something low key, but I spend the whole time thinking about how not fun I am, how I'm missing out on my 20s, how I'm not cool anymore and just having big FOMO. I really almost don't know the point of writing this letter because I feel like I know you guys are going to say that I'm not missing out on anything and that everyone has their own path and I have to own that and not base my happiness off of what everyone else is doing or something like that. But it just feels weirdly hard to navigate not drinking and to feel like I'm missing a fundamental part of relationships and having fun. I think I theoretically understand the healthy way to think about this, but I just can't actually commit to it for some reason. I would love to hear what you think and would really appreciate a narrative reframe or any advice, regardless of how you answer this. Thanks so much for what you do. Oh, my darling. Thank you so much for writing and for listening to our podcast. Uh, yeah, I would love to reframe this for you. First reframe. <laughs> Drunk people are always annoying. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> but really, a couple of reframes out the gate. Drunk people are always annoying. 
leaving parties alone slash early slash sober can always be lonely, can always Mm -hmm. incite some feelings, grieving, time passing or social life changing or lifestyle changing or seasonal changes in life, grieving friendships changing. That is always bittersweet. That always evokes emotions. Um, And I say all of this not to be like, these are no problems, deal with it or, or whatnot. But to point out that you are not uniquely fucked up in your sobriety and the issues that it's bringing up. And in fact, these are very common human experiences across a platitude of lifestyle choices. Mm. Um, Choices that, you know, experiences that I, a non-sober person who drinks less and less and less and less and less these days, (laughs) still relate to. I still feel feelings of loneliness and I still feel um, deeply annoyed by drunk people and, you know, and I still feel socially anxious. My wife invited me out to something this afternoon um, and she told me about it yesterday and she was like, do you want to come? And honestly, I was like... I don't think you gave me enough time to emotionally prepare for it. That's where we're at in my social anxiety, friends. I need four to seven business days to prepare to go and socialize. 24 hours, not enough. Not enough. We need at least 72. Not enough. And yes, I also want to acknowledge that Americans particularly – we define fun and celebration as like the antithesis of sobriety, right? It's it's pervasive in our dating scene, in our college experience, in our social lives. And that is a fault, right? Like we have talked about how like sober dating should be more uplifted. Um, sober activities should be um, more, you know, how subconsciously we drink as a culture is definitely an issue for folks who want sobriety, who want spaces in which drinking is not a cent- centered. Um, yep. So I, that is that all of these things are real is what I'm trying to say. And that you are not uniquely fucked up, that these are all hard things that are all coming up for you. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I have gone through periods of sobriety where I have, you know, taking time off of drinking. And one of the things that I have discovered through doing that is that even when I go to parties or go out to bars with people who are drinking, um, what, what my experience has generally been is they're still fun. They're still social until people start getting kind of drunk. And then it's like, okay, well now it's just time for me to go home. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's interesting to see it on sort of the spe- the side of sobriety because like I, if I were also drinking, I would be like, oh, things are still going super fun. They're still super awesome. And as a sober person, I'm like, oh, people are just drunk. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like they're they're having fun because they've been drinking. And so like now is the time for me to to go home. Um, and I and I just want to say that because I want you to recognize that like this anxiety is absolutely real and totally understandable. And I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't feel anxious about this stuff, but I do want you to try some of this stuff out so that you can decide what you want to do when this stuff happens. Right. 
Because right now you're choosing, I'm not going to go out, I'm not going to do things with people because of this thing. And there may be something else that like an in-between that might work better for you than sort of saying like, I either need to be drinking and like go whole hog on these parties or I need to stay home all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Are there places where you can find something different and where can you build up your capacity or your resiliency to try something out? And if it doesn't go well, to be like, cool, I learned something different rather than, oh God, this is fucking up. I'm, I'm so, I'm so bad at this or, or whatever it is. Right. So what does it look like for you to go to a party and see what it's like to be sober around friends who are drinking, right? Maybe it'll be like, cool, it's, it's good for a certain amount of time. Uh, and now I'm going to go home or maybe it'll be like, Ooh, I really don't like this actually. So I I'm right in not, in not staying home. Or maybe it'll be like, actually I stayed up till three in the morning chatting with people because like the conversation was still good. Or I really just enjoyed dancing with them. Right. There's, there's a whole lot of worlds of possibility available to you here. And I feel like what the way that you're looking at it is sort of like, I'm either drinking and having fun or I'm sober and staying home. And I want to, to say like, what are the other possibilities available to you? What imagination can we practice around what other situations could look like? But yes, Sierra's right that drunk people are annoying, especially when you're sober. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole reason I never bartended, I just couldn't deal. Um, I want to say this to you, um, sober and sad, that here's another perspective shift that I'd like you to like, um, maybe internalize as a affirmation that you say to yourself, um, you are missing things. You are missing opportunities. That's true. We all do every day mm -hmm. by making choices. Yep. There are a, a million paths happening concurrently beside our path right and at every moment we could choose to veer off into a different path or into a different lane or or whatever like i i think i shared this once but like i often think about what would happen if i had ever gone to nursing school like i daydreamed about doing my first couple weeks of college undergrad i was like maybe mm -hmm. i'll be a nurse like maybe i'll go to nursing that. school because the school the university or the college i was going to at the time had a really good nursing program and sometimes when I see people in the medical field in that way, I think like, man, that is a path that I just like missed out on that. I just did it. I didn't jump into that lane and look at me now, friends. I'm a fucking <laughs> poet and a podcast host. <laughs> uh, yeah, Maybe would have made a different choice if I knew if I if I fully understood <laughs> like retirement and yeah. social security benefits. Like <laughs> Ooh, also that. Yeah. For real. For real. Anyway, but like we are all there, you know, Sam uses the great phrase like opportunity costs, like everything in our lives have opportunity costs. And you might be like, damn, Sierra, that's a dark fucking way of like affirming all of my deepest fears is that like I'm missing out. But you are and they are, too. Your friends are missing out on what it feels like to wake up and not feel horribly hungover. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Your friends are well, missing they're all out like 25. On... So I, they're. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, another point I was going to make is that the non drinking world will open up a lot soon. Meaning you yes. pushing, pushing your thirties, getting your thirties. Like we, I mean, at least in my social circle, like it's drinking is not the way it was when we were younger. Um, and no, definitely not. but I remember feeling the anxiety and uncertainty and loneliness that comes from this is a transitional time in your life. 25 is 
a transitional time, right? Um, you know, you're out of school. Probably if you went to school, you are distant enough from your high school friends that you're not in those circles anymore. Hypothetically, you know, I'm just painting a picture here. I don't know what your life looks like. But, <laughs> I like um, this. Just like, let's just make a bunch of assumptions about what's going on. For, <laughs> for your hair is longer than it used to be. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, it's, a, it is a, it is a time of transition and it's, I remember at 25, I started probably for the first time feeling real pangs of loneliness and insecurity when it came to my relationships changing and Mm. my friendships, you know, petering out or, you know, like that was the season of that. So, so give yourself some grace and some compassion during this time. You can, the affirmation you can say to yourself is like, if you, if, you know, I think you should go to these parties, right? Cause if they suck, then they suck. And they probably would have sucked if you were drunk or else you were just having like a blurrier time, you know, <laughs> that's real. Yep. But also if you choose to stay in, then you can say to yourself, like, I am missing that party. That is true, but they are missing other things too. And that I, I choose when I choose something, I will always miss something else. And so I, I want you to I don't want you to use that to like affirm all your fears <laughs> that mm-hmm. you are, you know, FOMOing all over the place, but instead to be like, this is a part of being autonomous in my life. This is, yep. this is a product of having autonomy and choice and, um, and trying to cultivate a life that I want for myself. For sure. And, and as you're doing that, right? Don't just focus on the things that you're missing out on, but also what are you gaining from not drinking, right? Your skin probably looks great, right? You probably look rested most of the time, right? (laughs) Or, you know, you're, you are choosing to not drink because you are, um, choosing something that's healthier for your heart. You're, you are choosing not to drink because you are choosing a better night's sleep, right? You're choosing not to drink because, uh, it helps you stay focused, right? What are the the reasons that you're you're choosing it? And to look at those as being like, these are things that are also really helpful and supportive of my life and the choices that I'm making and not just say, and then to also do what Sierra says too and say like, and also, of course, these choices mean that I'm missing out. I'm not making that up. That's something that's really happening to me, but I'm doing this within, with intention, with autonomy, with the choices. I'm choosing this abundant choice and missing out on things that may also have abundance, but but are not any more important than the things that I'm choosing for myself in this moment. Yes, absolutely. So we hope that this helps. Think of us the next time you're preparing with your seven to ten business days before a social <laughs> engagement. That like we're in your back pocket, you're we're in your earbud. We're telling you that um, like all life is awkward and weird. Um, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's we what we're are, saying. <laughs> we are in in it with you in this journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right, everyone. This brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. This is when we try and set you up with something that we think you're really going to like. This week, we want to send you home with. It's a book that my therapist suggested that I just recently purchased. And honestly, y'all, I'm like 25 pages into it, but I don't have a lot of free time. So I'm running out of blind dates. Um, but it's like a New York <laughs> Times bestseller. Your blind date is raising a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a New York Times bestseller. And truly, I have enjoyed it so far. Um, 
to set up the context so that you know where this is coming from in my life, I was like, in therapy, I was like, so, you know, we've talked about all of this, you know, an unhealthy relationship in my life, a dynamic that I want to combat. And like, so like, what do I do now? Like, how do I, what do I do now? (laughs) And my therapist was like, you think that I'm going to give you like a checklist on like how to deal with a toxic (laughs) relationship in your life and I was like if you could just tell me exactly what to do now that'd be great (laughs) Uh, and she was like well why don't we start by you building up what does it mean to have boundaries in your personal life like why don't you start with you you know you're in why don't we start with what you control control which is yourself so it's called set boundaries find peace a guide to reclaiming yourself uh, it is by Nedra Glover Tawab. Um, so far, so good. Um, Nedra has like a strong Instagram, uh, social media following. So you could check out more of her free resources online, or you can get this book and read it alongside me while my baby's sleeping and I'm pumping in the final waking moments of my day. <laughs> it's tough out there, y'all. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a great book. I will check that out because it sounds very helpful. Yes. Um, and it's an easy read so far. So love it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at just break up pod. You can slide into our DM, send us your favorite relationship meme, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Holidays are coming up or, you know, a couple holidays are coming up. I just had dinner with um, two of my friends. What's up, Eric? Um, him and his <laughs> wife, they are Jewish. And we were talking about how like fucking Christmas forward our culture is and how like oh, Hanukkah has been swept into the rug of Christmas, even though it's like not even the most predominant <laughs> yeah, Jewish holiday. Yeah, it's not the most important holiday so for sure. <laughs> I'm trying to be more mindful about how I talk about it. But like, yeah. okay, so the holidays are two holidays in the year in two different religions and culturals cultures are coming up (laughs) no more important than the other uh are coming up um (laughs) and you can buy presents for people all year round is what i'm trying to say you could do it at just break up pod absolutely and let's acknowledge the fact that there's like a huge (laughs) holiday that lots of people practice that is coming up in which you buy gifts and it's called christmas and we can just say it and it's fine (laughs) what (laughs) just kidding (laughs) Okay. <laughs> uh, so check out our merch, people. It's great. Yeah, There's new yeah, stuff yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Uh, we what don't do ramble. I even say after this? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm trying to remember what my line is. Uh, please remember to follow, subscribe, give us a five star rating and review uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as five dollars a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode as well as a bunch of other stuff. Uh, that's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps our mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers, giving them relationship advice. Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media, original music production, recording, editing, producing, all those magical things by a good friend, Spencer Worth Davis. Make sure to check up his most recent podcast. Dang, that's weird. And remember, <laughs> you are responsible for yourself and everything can start there. You are an agent of change in your life. You are an author of this narrative and you are capable of moving forward with intention, compassion, and bravery. And if all else fails, just break up.